0: Romans chapter 16, we come to the last chapter uh, in this great epistle. When we study the book of Romans uh, with its great doctrines, it is easy to lose sight of the truth that the book is a personal letter. The truth that it is a personal letter is really brought out in our text, which is part of the letter's Conclusion, our text is Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 16, uh, which I will read to us now. So please stand in honor of the word of God, if you are able. Verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at St. that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you for she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, they are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord. At Trophena and Trophosa, Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asencrytus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. Some of my pronunciation may have been a little bit off. Uh, We don't read most of these names very often. I have a question that I put in the bulletin uh, that asks, what stands out to you in this passage and why? Debbie. Yes, there's great warmth communicated uh, in these right. greetings, and you see the humility of Paul. He's not exalting himself over them. He talks about some of them as, as fellow workers. Mom. Uh, Verses 3 and 4: um, how we see him himself. Yeah. And the how they list the yeah. their human excesses for his life. And that he doesn't just give thanks for his life. All Gentiles, believers in churches, thank the Lord that God protected them so he could come and share with them grow established churches. And so, the act of those two people that many. Yeah. That, that, that's an amazing statement there. Enoch. There's a lot of people that that he names, and he says something about uh, most of them. Anyone else? Esther. So there's a, a, this reflects the, the unity of the body of Christ, that the members of the body of Christ are working together for the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone else? Something that stands out to you here and now? Well, all was very good. The next question is, what are we to learn from this passage? Before we even dive into the details of the passage, I want you to be thinking about the passage as a whole um, thinking about you know what's the purpose of this why why is this here why is this included in scripture uh, what are we to learn from this passage uh, Lillian? to be humble and not just to not exalt yourself but like how he was mentioning all these things about the other people so Paul's humility is an example for us to follow Titus Alright, So it 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 is instructive for us um, that that we also are to greet fellow believers. All believers are important in God's work, and that we all need to be faithful in what God's given us to do. All the Lord's workers are important. Each of us needs to be faithful. Dorian, the body of Christ. Yes, we're bodies, but. It's not as if we are just this mass of beings. Right. We are individuals that are recognized by God. Um, and we see that both here also as well as in genealogies, that, that God knows and has recorded in his word individuals, people that we may not know a lot about, but he knows them as he knows all people by name. Yeah, The body of Christ is made up of individuals, and each one has a name and is known, known by God enough not so believers are a team working together for the same a goal, um, and no one is more important than another. Anything else as far as what are we to learn from this passage? All right, now that we've been thinking about the passage uh, in these terms, uh, let's look at the passage more closely. In this passage, the Apostle Paul commends a believer to the Roman Church, in verses 1 and 2, and then sends greetings to 28 individuals, along with other believers in general in Rome. That's verses 3 through 15. Later in the chapter, Paul will send greetings from 8 individual believers who are with him in Corinth when he writes this letter. And that will be found in verses 21 through 23. In no other epistle, Does Paul even come close to the number of personal greetings he gives here? He usually does give personal greetings um, at the end of his epistles uh, to multiple people, but never anywhere close to the number of people that he mentions here. It is striking that Paul knew the names of so many in a church that he had never visited. Most of the epistles that he writes to churches are written to churches that he has ministered in. Uh, not Colossians, and not Romans. And in spite of the fact that he's never been there, uh, he knows a lot about the believers who are there, and how they're serving the Lord, and so forth. It's very striking. At the beginning of this epistle, Paul addressed the letter, quote, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So he addressed the letter to All the Christians in Rome. And now, Paul appears to give a personal greeting to everyone whose name he knows. This passage mentions men and women, Jews and Gentiles. Some of the names are Jewish names, like Herodian, Apelles. Other names are Latin names, like Ampliatus and Urbanus. Most are Greek names. However, having a Latin or a Greek name does not necessarily mean that the person was a Gentile, as people not uncommonly bore more than one name as they moved in the cosmopolitan society of the empire. I Think of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he also has the name Saul. Saul is a Jewish name. Paul is a Greek name. Certainly, Jews and Gentiles and a variety of names here, men and women. This passage reveals that Romans is a letter to real people, to ordinary Christians. Romans is not just for elders or theologians. We could say that we have the the, the deepest theology um, in Romans compared to any other books of the Bible. Um, And uh, the book of Romans challenges every believer all the way until we go home to be with the Lord. However, we see here that the book of Romans is not just for those who teach the Bible. It's not just for theologians. It's not just for elders. In this list of greetings, we see it's for ordinary Christians. We see here that Romans is more personal than, than a book. You know you, you can write a book about the doctrines that are taught here. And that's not personal. But here we have a letter that Paul penned to specific people in a specific church, and it makes everything that he writes very personal. Romans is something that the Roman Christians needed. Paul knew about the church. He knew what they were, were going through. He knew their condition, and he writes the doctrines that he writes because the church needed to hear these doctrines. This passage also reveals that Paul was not just interested in theology, but also in the people for whom the theology was written. He shows great interest in theology um, as he uh, teaches these great doctrines. Uh, but he also shows, in the beginning of the letter and the end of the letter, a great interest in the people for whom the theology was written. And our passage reveals the love with which the letter was written. And that is an example for us. The love that we see here from the Apostle Paul towards those whom he writes this letter to is an example for us to follow. This passage also reflects the truth that God is personal. God speaks. God listens. God knows. God is personal. And that's reflected here in the personal nature of these greetings. All of this was inspired by the Spirit of God. All right, let's look at the commendation of Phoebe in verses 1 and 2. We read in verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sankrae, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you for she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. Notice that Paul refers to Phoebe as our sister. All true Christians, though members of different local churches, are members of one family, the family of God. Phoebe was a member of the church at St. Christ. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he refers to Phoebe as our sister. All believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are members of one family, the family of God. We have been brought into this family by adoption, in salvation. And there are additional family terms that Paul will use later in this passage that will reinforce the truth that we are the family of God, related to one another uh, as members of the same family. Uh, Paul uh, speaks of Phoebe being a servant of the church at Sanctuary. Now, Paul wrote Romans from the city of Corinth, and Sancrae was a city just to the east of Corinth. It was one of Corinth's two seaports. Acts 18.18 18 mentions Paul's healing out of Senchraib. Uh, there would be a great connection between the church in Corinth and the church in Sankrae because of how close they were located geographically and how half the people who would come to Corinth would come through Sankrae. Notice that Phoebe is called a servant of the church at Sankrae. The Greek word that's translated here, servant, occurs 29 times in the New Testament. It is usually translated servant, as it is here including each occurrence in the book of Romans. It is translated deacon three times in the New Testament. We're referring to that that office that we have in the church. There are two offices spoken of in Scripture. There's the office of elder and the office of deacon. So three times this word for servant is used with the meaning a deacon, speaking of that office. Now, nothing in the context indicates that Phoebe held the office of Deacon, so translating it as servant is very fitting here. Uh, Phoebe uh, was traveling from Corinth and Sancrity to Rome. Uh, Paul commends her to the church and instructs them to welcome her in the Lord. She's traveling there from Corinth and Saint-Croix. uh She's probably carrying this epistle the Epistle of Romans. She's probably the the person who delivered it from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. There was no postal system, except in the military. You you couldn't take a letter that you had written and put it in a a mailbox to get to Rome. You couldn't take it to FedEx and have FedEx get it to Rome. No, you would send things with people, with individuals. They would take a trip there for the purpose of delivering uh, what you uh, had had put together. So, someone had to carry the letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, and because the way Paul speaks here, commending her to the church and telling them to welcome her in the Lord, it only makes sense that she is the one who's carrying the letter of Romans to them. Now, we would communicate ahead of a person's arrival. We'd make a phone call or send an email, uh, whatever. Uh, but this would be the way it would be done in this day. Um, that in the letter that you're sending with someone, that there you, you would commend that person to those that you are sending this to, to receive them. Now, Paul goes on, um, and, and he says, welcome her, uh, in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. This will be her first time uh, to visit the church in Rome. And uh, Paul wants them to know that she has been a patron of many and of the Apostle Paul. He wants them to to treat her accordingly. To to give her whatever help that she needs in light of the fact of how she has uh, served others in the church. The, the word patron, she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. That word patron can also be translated benefactor. A, a patron was one who came to the aid of others, especially of foreigners, by providing housing and financial aid, and by representing their interests before local authorities. St. Cree's status as a busy seaport created a need for a Christian in its church to take up this ministry on behalf of visiting Christians. Phoebe used the resources that God gave her to serve traveling Christians, like Paul, who needed assistance. That's the commendation that we have in our text. Commendation of of Phoebe. That's followed by greetings. Greetings to 28 people, uh, plus others. Beginning with a greeting to Prisca and Aquila. Look at verse 3. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Now, Acts uses a slightly different form of the name Prisca. What is the form used in the book of Acts? Priscilla! Acts refers to this woman as Priscilla, Paul refers to her here as Prisca. The name Prisca is related to the name Priscilla in the same way that the name Jane is related to the name Janie. So Prisca would probably be the name that her parents gave her, but but people would call her Priscilla. Aquila was a Jewish tentmaker who had settled in Rome, but had been compelled to leave when Emperor Claudius expelled the Jews. You can read of that in Acts 18.2. After meeting this couple in Corinth, Paul took them with him to minister in Ephesus. You can read of that in Acts 18.18, 18, where they remained when Paul went on. While well, in Ephesus, they had a church in their home, as mentioned in 1 Corinthians 16.19. And they were able to instruct the learned Apollos further in the faith, Acts 18.26. And now we see that they have returned to Rome, uh, the place that they originated from. Uh, Paul He gives this greeting to Prisca and Aquila, and he refers to them as my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. This and other references in this passage to fellow workers reminds us that Paul was not a lone ranger kind of missionary. He depended on a significant number of others who worked along with him. And whenever he would go and plant a church, he was seeking to, to raise up. Laborers to, to join him uh, in his missionary work. And, and we, we see him developing a larger and larger group of, of brothers and sisters uh, who he calls fellow workers who are working together with the Apostle Paul uh, in the work of missions. He calls them my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And he says they risk their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Meaning that this couple risked their lives to protect Paul when his life was in danger. We know from the book of Acts that his life was often in danger. We know of it as well in his writing in Second Corinthians, when he writes about the different things that he suffered uh, for the sake of Christ. There there was a lot of suffering that he went through that was not written down in the book of Acts. Uh, We don't know if this event that he's referring to um, is an event in the book of Acts or is something that was not recorded in in the book of Acts. But what we do know is that there was a time when they risked their lives for the Apostle Paul when his life was in danger. It was so significant that he... Still says, I give thanks to them for this, and all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks to them. Probably both for how they ministered to Paul in this way, as well as how they've been ministering uh, to others in the churches. Let's continue in in verse 5. He says, uh, greet also the church in their house. In, when they were in Corinth, I'm sorry when they were in Ephesus, uh, they had a church meeting in their house and now when they are back in Rome uh, they have a church meeting in their house. We have no record of church buildings existing until the third century. Uh, what we have here, what we enjoy what the Lord has given us here is not something uh, that that first and second century uh, churches uh, were able to benefit from, Uh, but they appear to have largely met in homes. Apparently, the church in Rome was too large to meet in one place, because not only do we have a reference here uh, to the church meeting in the home of Prisca and Aquila, but when we get to verses 14 and 15, uh, we will see that those verses also appear to refer to two other house churches in the city of Rome. How how they all were connected to one another, um, how how they all um, uh, functioned uh, together, we we really do not know. Uh, But it definitely appears that there were were multiple house churches in Rome, uh, though Paul does address this letter to all the believers in Rome, not to one specific house church. There was a unity, we see, uh, amongst the house churches in Rome. Probably about the most people that you could fit in a house of that day. Thinking of the the largest houses uh, that people would have. Probably be 70 to 80 people. So he says here, greet also the church in their house. We have further greetings in the second half of verse 5 and going on. I greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Notice the word Beloved. Paul refers uh, to this man as my beloved Eponidas. Uh, Paul's love for the saints is also expressed later in this passage. And he speaks of how Eponidas was the first convert to Christ in Asia. That's not what we call Asia. That's not the continent of Asia. Uh, that's the Roman province that was called Asia. That was part of what we call Asia Minor. It was the Roman province whose cultural center was Ephesus. Ephesus was the great city uh, in the province of Asia, and this man Eponidus, that Paul uh gives instructions to greet on his behalf, was the first convert to Christ there in that province. Now if you if you have the ESV, you will note there is a footnote um, after those words of uh, first convert. And if you look at what the footnote says for that, it says, Greek, first fruit. So it's telling us that the Greek word that's been that's been translated here, first, the first convert, literally means first fruit. Paul speaks of this man as being the first fruit to Christ in Asia. That's an Old Testament concept of the first fruits. Israel was was to give the first fruits of their land uh, to the Lord um as an, an offering and when you gave the first or when you gave first fruits you were recognizing that the first fruits uh, were the first of more fruit that was to come and in the new testament in the teaching on the resurrection in Acts, in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, Christ is spoken of as the first fruits uh for his re- he was raised first And his resurrection guarantees uh, the future resurrection of all who are in Christ. Now this man Eponidus is referred to by Paul as the first fruit in Christ uh, in a first fruit to Christ in Asia, meaning he was the first of a harvest in Asia. A first of many who were converted to Christ and who would continue uh, to be converted to Christ in that province. Paul goes on in verse 6. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. The women in this passage, like this woman Mary, who is said to have worked hard for the church in Rome... The women in this passage show that women had important ministries in the early church. There's a good number of women who are mentioned here. Uh, it may not be so obvious to you not knowing the Latin and the Greek and, and so forms and so forth. But there are a good number of women like Mary mentioned in this passage that show that women had important ministries in the early church. Though the leaders of a church are to be men, women are just as important as men in the church. Verse 7 Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. These two individuals, Andronicus and Junia, appear to be husband and wife. Paul refers to this couple as my kinsmen, meaning that they are Jewish. Uh, in Romans chapter 9, verses 3 through 4, Uh, Paul uses that term, my kinsmen, in this way, which reads, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. My kinsmen, according to the flesh, they are Israelites. So here in verse 7, Paul says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my, my kinsmen. Kinsmen, according to the flesh, they are fellow Jews, and they are also brothers and sisters in Christ. Greet my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. That's striking. Uh, there were more believers that were associated with the Apostle Paul who were put in prison during Paul's ministry than are mentioned in the book of Acts. Here's two. Deronicus and Jr my fellow prisoners. This reference to them indicates that either Paul was in prison with them at one time, or that they had been in prison for the same reason Paul had been in prison many times for the sake of the gospel, being persecuted for the sake of Christ. As in that day, if you were faithful uh, to proclaim Jesus as the promised Christ, if you're faithful to proclaim Jesus as Lord and to proclaim the gospel uh, which says that there is one God and not a, a multiplicity of gods, and that one true God has sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to redeem sinners, and that all people deserve the judgment of the one true God, but God has provided salvation in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God and man, and that one needs to be saved through repentance of sin and faith in this Jesus of Nazareth, believing in him to be the Son of God incarnate, trusting in his death upon a cruel cross for your salvation, submitting to him, as Lord, you will be saved. That's an offensive message to both unbelieving Jew and unbelieving Gentile. And uh, Paul was severely persecuted, uh, because he did not back down from proclaiming the gospel and taking the gospel further and further, and uh, those who believed the gospel and uh, followed the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they they also are called to to do as Paul has done and to be Christ's witnesses uh, wherever the Lord has placed us, and that would bring. Severe persecution at times in the first century in that part of the world. And so it was not uncommon at different times uh, for believers in Christ to be put in prison. Sometimes they would be told that they would not be put in prison if they were to say Caesar is Lord. But they couldn't say Caesar is Lord. Because it's Jesus Christ who is Lord. Paul refers to them as his fellow prisoners. Uh, this shared experience. Oh, Paul refers to his many imprisonments in Second Corinthians eleven twenty three. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am taking. I'm talking like a madman. Uh, with, he, he's comparing himself to the, the the false teachers who came to Corinth. Uh, presenting themselves as super-apostles of Christ. Paul says, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. And we see here, Paul was imprisoned numerous times. Evidently, this shared experience has created a special bond between Paul and this couple. Paul says of them, they were in Christ before me. Meaning that they were saved before Paul was saved. Now when Paul was saved, the gospel had not yet really gone very far beyond Palestine, before beyond the land of Israel. Which would suggest that this couple were living in Palestine uh, when they were saved. And when they were joined to Christ. They were in Christ before me. We see in this whole passage that we are studying the great mobility of the Christians in the first century who spread the gospel wherever they traveled. We saw that Prisca and Aquila had spent time in Corinth and Ephesus. We've seen that Eponidas was converted in Asia. We see here that Andronicus and Junia appear to be from Palestine. Now they are all in Rome. The Christians did move around bringing the gospel continue at verse 8. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Notice that word approved. Who is approved in Christ. The normal meaning of the Greek word uh, is to be approved by testing. And you find that word used in James 1.12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. In James 1.12, those words, has stood the test, come from the same Greek word that's translated in our uh, text as approved. The word means to be approved by testing. It sounds here like Apollos' faith in Christ has been clearly tested and shown to be genuine. He is a brother of tested excellence. Verse 10. Greet Apelles who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Or the New American Standard translates it, those who are of the household of Aristobulus. The New American Standard puts that word household in italics because there is no word in the original that corresponds to it. But we add the word family or household to really give the sense of, 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 of the Greek. They are... uh, greet those who who belong to the, we could say, the household. Those who are of Aristobulus. Now, Aristobulus was not a very common name. But there was a famous Aristobulus uh, that was in Rome uh, shortly before Paul wrote this letter. This Aristobulus was the brother of King Herod Agrippa I. The the Herodian family uh, were the rulers in the land of of Israel. uh, In the time of Jesus, and the time of Paul, Uh, both brothers had gone to Rome. Now, Paul does not greet Aristobulus himself, which is likely the Aristobulus who was connected with Herod Agrippa. Uh, Aristobulus was probably dead uh, at this point. Those whom Paul greets likely had been slaves in Aristobulus' household. And they're still known as those who are of Aristobulus. They had become attached to his name. Verse 11. This is similar. I greet my kinsman Herodian. Uh, he may have been part of that, that household of Aristobulus. Hence the name Herodian. I greet my kinsman Herodian, greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Narcissus was probably another well known unbeliever of whom I died from Roman history. We do know of a Narcissus um, just before the time of this letter. And again, we have a household. of The way it's actually worded here is greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. There were some in that household uh, who had been saved, who were in the Lord. Uh, Paul was sending greetings to those who were somehow connected uh, with this man, Narcissus. Verse 12. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trephina and Trephosa, Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. All three are women. Uh, Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Persis. Notice the word workers. Greet those workers in the Lord. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Uh, The word workers is translated from a Greek word that means to labor to the point of weariness. These are women who have worked hard in the Lord. Greet the beloved person who has worked hard in the Lord. All three women have worked hard for the Lord. Verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Every believer can, can be said to have been chosen in the Lord. Now, this Rufus is interesting Uh, He may very well be the same Rufus in the verse that I put in your notes, Mark 15, 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. So Simon of Cyrene was enlisted to carry Christ's cross. Christ was brutally flogged after he had been up all night uh, in the Jewish trial. He had been beaten in the Jewish trial, beaten by the, by the Romans. Um, this was after sweating drops of blood the night before in the Garden, garden of Gethsemane. Uh, you can understand how Jesus would not have the physical strength uh, to carry that crossbeam all the way uh, to Golgotha. So the, Ro- the Romans did what they would do in such a situation. They would compel a passerby to carry the cross for the criminal. Here in Mark, Mark's the only gospel that gives us these names. Um, He tells us that Simon of Cyrene was the man who was compelled to carry the cross and that he is the father of Alexander and Rufus. Church history tells us Mark wrote his gospel in Rome. It would seem that the point of Mark mentioning Simon's sons, was that these sons were well known to the first readers of his gospel. It would make sense uh, that if there was a Rufus, I'm sorry, it would make sense that if the Rufus in Mark was well known to the church in Rome, it would make sense then here, when Paul gives a greeting to Rufus, that it would be one and the same Rufus. Now notice what Paul says about his mother. Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. As far as we know, uh, Paul's natural mother was never saved. But he had at least one spiritual mother. He looks at Rufus' natural mother as a spiritual mother to him. He probably had other women as well that, that played that role, a spiritual mother for him. But he mentions this about Rufus' mother. She's been a mother to me as well. Continues that, that the family terminology that we saw at the very beginning of our passage. Verse 14, greets at Asyncritus, Fledjon, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. This may be a reference to another house church. Paul lists several names, and the brothers who are with them. And then verse 15 is similar. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. It to be another house church. All the saints who are with them. Verse 16, greet one another with a holy Kiss there are other similar instructions uh, in other epistles that Paul wrote and that Peter wrote always in the closing of the epistles first corinthians sixteen twenty greet one another with a holy kiss second corinthians thirteen twelve greet one another with a holy kiss first thessalonians five twenty six greet all the brothers with a holy kiss first peter five fourteen greet one another with the kiss of love. Understand that a kiss was a customary greeting in that day, that was practiced between friends and was practiced in hospitality. You see that in Luke seven forty-five, uh, where Jesus is in the home of Simon, and there is that that woman who knows of her many sins, and and has come there because Jesus is there, and uh, Jesus contrasts the lack of hospitality that Simon, who's hosting this. This, this meal um, should have given, but failed to give uh, with the affection that this sinful woman gives to Jesus as the Savior. And he says there in Luke 7.45, to Simon, his host, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. It would have been appropriate for the host, Simon, to have given a kiss to Jesus as one of his guests. Uh, and in in welcoming him. He failed to do that. We see from here in other passages that a kiss was a customary greeting in that day. It was practiced between friends and in hospitality. Now, in our text, uh, the kiss that Paul speaks of is called a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This kiss is called a holy kiss for the kinds of kisses that are holy between a husband and wife are not holy between others. Now, the application to our lives is that we are to greet one another in the church, and we are to do so in a manner that is holy and culturally appropriate. Kissing is not what is the customary way of greeting friends and showing hospitality in our day. We shake hands, sometimes we'll give a side hug, um, things like that. Um, the point here as far as how this applies today is not the kiss itself. What, what it apply, what the application is, we are to greet one another in the church. We're not, we're not to just keep to ourselves when we gather together. Uh, we are to, to show love and care to one another. And part of that is greeting one another. We are to do so in a way that's cus- uh, culturally appropriate, and which in that day it was, a, that was culturally appropriate. And we are to do so in a way that is holy. We continue on in verse 16. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, this is the only such greeting in the epistles. Where it says, all the churches of Christ greet you. Uh, The implication here is that Paul is talking about all the churches with which he was closely connected. How could he give greetings from churches with which he did was not connected? So all the churches that Paul has in mind, all the churches of Christ greet you. It is possible that when Paul wrote this, delegates from a variety of churches had gathered to take the collection to Jerusalem. Paul has spoken about the collection uh, back in chapter 15. It's possible that delegates from a variety of churches had gathered to take this collection to Jerusalem. Acts 20, verses 3-5 through mention Paul being with representatives of the churches in Berea, Thessalonica, Derby, and Asia. If Paul was with such a group when he wrote Romans, the representatives may have asked him to include their greetings. Possibility, we just don't know. But certainly, this greeting reflects the unity of the church. All the churches of Christ greet you. One body of Christ. Individual churches are not in competition with one another. We're part of one body, the body of Christ, serving one Lord and Master. And there is to be unity and fellowship uh, between Christ's churches. Well, Paul has said various things about the brethren in Rome. Uh, He has spoken of a servant of the church, a patron of many saints, fellow workers, He's spoken of individuals risking their lives for another believer. He's spoken of individuals working hard for the saints. He's spoken of fellow prisoners. He's spoken of one who was approved in Christ. He's spoken of workers in the Lord. We have to ask ourselves, can similar things be said about us as a church? What Paul says about the people he writes to shows that they were set apart from the world. They were devoted to Christ. Can such things be said of our church? Are we distinct from the world? Are we as a church devoted to serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Can similar things be said about us as a church? And do we know other believers this well? Paul knew these believers well enough to say these things, even though they were in a church that he had never visited. You mentioned 28 individuals in that church by name. Can you list 28 people in our church by name? I'm not talking about a church you've never visited. I'm talking about our own church. Our own church where we gather every Sunday. We gather together on Wednesdays and other times as well. Do you know the brothers and sisters in your church, our church, Do we know believers in other churches? We're going to be having a picnic. The Bread of Life Fellowship on Saturday. Like-minded church. Brothers and sisters who love the Lord. Who love the Word of God. Who are following Christ. It's an opportunity uh, for us to get to know our brothers and sisters. an opportunity to, to serve them and care for them. Seeing what we've seen here should motivate us on Saturday. To not just huddle, not, not to huddle. I shouldn't say not just, not to huddle, but people from our own congregation. But so they go out of our comfort zones and get to know the brothers and sisters at the congregations from Bread of Life that will be there. Well, do you have any questions about anything that we have seen or any comments, um, related to what we've seen? It's Shalom. And so, show that she is the one most taking And then it's mentioned that they take Pauls and disciple them and teaching them things. But somewhere else, Paul is clear that he does not cover the So, how do we reconcile upon that? And the second thing is like, how do you defend? How do you reply to people who say like the opposite of the people I mean, I understand. Second Timothy is pretty clear in the requirement. But then they Okay, so you've, you've asked a lot. Let, let's see if I can concisely respond to all, all that you have, have asked. So, uh, there are you asked about the the verse towards the beginning where it speaks of Phoebe being a servant of the church. Because sometimes uh, people will look at that and say that that it should be translated like deacon or deaconess. Some people would see this as indicating that Phoebe had the office. Of, of deacon or deaconess, which mean female deacon um in, in in the church. So, you know, the way I understand the qualifications for the office of deacon in First Timothy chapter three is that it's it's speaking here of of, of men. Because, you know, it says in First Timothy three eight a uh, deacon's Uh, likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, and so forth. Um, Verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, and so forth. Verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, uh, managing their children in their own households well. So these qualifications uh, uh, assume or indicate um, that deacons are to be men the question is, though, in the middle there, when it says their wives, um, is that what it means, their wives, or does it mean in verse eleven, um, women uh, who have the office of deacon, or we could call it deaconess, should meet these qualifications? In the passage, you know, I, I believe that verse eleven is talking about the wives of deacons. I believe this passage for these qualifications is indicating uh, that deacons are are to be men. As, as far as the passage that we have in Romans sixteen, uh, verse um, one, Phoebe, a servant of the church, I, I see nothing in the the context here that would indicate that Paul is speaking of her having an office in in the church of, of deacon. Most often, that word is translated servant, not deacon. Um, it is a common word for servant. Um, there's a great emphasis in the New Testament. That, that we are to be servants, um, in, in, in the church. Um, I think that's all it's saying, is that she was noteworthy for her service in, in the church. I don't think it's saying anything about having an, an office of deacon. Um, you also asked about, uh, the Pr- Pr- Prisca and Aquila, that the wife is mentioned first in verse three. I, I wouldn't read into that necessarily, that she was the leader, um, amongst the two of them. Uh, being that she's she's listed first, I mean it is, it is unusual, um, you know, for the wife to be listed first. But I, I wouldn't read that into that that she was the leader. They The Apostle Paul, the they're, the they're, they're fellow workers with the Apostle Paul, they know the apostolic teaching. P- Apostle Paul taught uh, that 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 men have been appointed by God as the leaders uh, in in the home and in the church. Um, Paul teaches very clearly about that. Um, Paul, Paul was involving them in in you know ministry um, in, in in the churches. So you know I, I, I think it would be contrary to the context of the rest of the New Testament to see that to indicate that Priscilla was the leader among the two of them. Well, I Right, right. So, so what what they did as a couple was very different from what Paul prohibited women from doing. What Paul prohibited women from doing uh, was teaching um, men in, in in the meetings of, of the church. So here, we this is not a meeting of the church. This is you know a couple meeting with an, an individual. And, and together they, they they taught him more fully. So that, that wouldn't be um contrary to what, what Paul taught. Good questions. Any other questions, comments? Right, I, I, I hope in studying this the passage came more alive to you. Oftentimes we have you know a lot of names we can read through it quickly and go what's what's the point? Let me move on to something richer, but but really, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's important, and I, I hope you've seen tonight uh, some of the significance and importance of of this passage that's been given to us from the Holy Spirit. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you, and we're so thankful for the privilege of being included in your church and serving. Uh, in your church. Uh, Lord, this is your grace to us in Christ that we are saved from our sins, uh, made recipients of eternal life, and uh, called into service unto Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to apply uh, what we've seen here uh, to our lives um, throughout the week, on Saturday at the picnic, on Sunday when we gather together, and uh, for the rest of our lives, to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.